coming up. Readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland-approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb stormlight. Hone sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Hey, what's up, Warlocks? This is Stephen and Ben from Phantology with part two of our briefcases review. Part one was no spoilers. This is going to be full spoilers. And when I say full spoilers, I mean through Battleground. So we've already read Battleground. We're going to talk about these things in the context of what we know from Battleground. So if you haven't read Peace Talks and Battleground yet, go read them and then come back and listen. And then to uh, get started, we're just going to rehash what we talked about in the non-spoiler really quickly. So we did a rating out of 10. I gave briefcases a 7 out of 10. Ben gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Ben, do you still stand by that? You feel a little bit better about this than than I do, I guess? I do. Yeah. I mean, look, at it's not going to be in my top 10 favorite books ever, but it was a solid entry. It it gets a high score because Dresden, I, I enjoy Dresden so much, and it was a solid icing on the cake to Dresden overall. So that's why that's why it's relatively high for me. Yeah, give our previous episode a listen and we'll talk through things like kind of our overall impressions. We're going to talk a little bit about just the history of the stories, when you should read them, why you should read them, why you shouldn't read them. If you want a little bit of criticism, then we talk about some of our favorite things. We'll talk about those things more, but this we're just going to jump right into full spoilers. So yeah, I gave it a seven out of 10 and kind of what you were saying I, I enjoyed it a lot. I was able to go back after reading Battleground and, and have another helping of Dresden, like you were saying. And that was fun to read. I don't know if I'd go back and read again, just because some of these stories were a little inconsequential, but they were always fun to read. Dresden's always a fun ride. Yeah. All right. So story number one, A Fistful of Warlocks. And we're just going to talk through each one. We don't need to spend a ton of time on any individual story. Some we may even just kind of gloss over. So this one was interesting because it's actually from Anastasia Lucio's perspective, which is not a perspective that I would have expected to see. And it was years before. It's a Western back yeah. in Dodge City with Wyatt Earp and some kind of notable characters that you've seen from from Western lore. So, so this is kind of like out of nowhere, right? A little bit. Yeah. So Butcher kind of before he tells the story. And actually, this is like the most... I think my favorite part of this is kind of getting into Butcher's head a little bit where he kind of like breaks the fourth wall and tells you, I, I don't know if I'm using that term correctly, but he speaks directly to the audience and tells you why he wrote this. And he's like, yeah, not quite fourth wall. Cause that would be yeah, like in the story, in the, story if, right. you know, the character was talking to you, but before yeah. the story starts, he's talking to you. Yeah. This is like they're in front of the curtain type thing and, and speaking to you. So he, mm-hmm. he says that he wants to write this, series of books trilogy of books i forget how many books he wanted to write but he like envisions an opportunity in which he's able to kind of elaborate on this point for lucio and and tell her backstory a little bit more and so it was fun kind of jump starting that process here yeah i think he said that he just kind of got pulled into this as part of contributing to an anthology and i guess we should make sure we note that as we talk about these stories 
some of these are written for a specific purpose, like they're trying to fit a theme of an anthology. And in this case, I guess it was a Western. I actually don't know what anthology this was in, but I'm fine with not getting any more. Like I was okay with the story, but I don't know if I'd want to read another chapter of yeah. this one. Like, yeah, I'm, I was never that into Westerns maybe is my problem. It, that was never my genre. Yeah, I agree. It was a little bit cool getting like a little bit of background with the, with like necromancy, I guess. Seeing how these issues and these evil things existed before Dresden popped up on the scene. Yeah, for sure. Seeing Kemmler and Gravain there, that kind of made the story for me because it was that connection yeah. into the rest of the series to Deadbeat specifically. We didn't see Cowl, right? And Cal is supposedly still like the a big bad of the series. Like he's kind of been yeah. hinted at as being. <laughs> yeah, someone tell us, please. What the heck is going on with Cowl here? Cal just seems to pop up in like these weird places and, and you're never quite sure if it's actually him or I don't know. Weird. Yeah. There's some characters that pop. I mean, Elaine every now and then just pops up. <laughs> Cowl must be Elaine, right? They're they're just as nebulous. Yeah. That's not a real theory. I don't really believe that. I'm just that's not yeah, fantasy right there. Yeah. No, we we can't we can't guarantee that. So yeah, this one was fine. I mean, obviously Harry's not there. It was cool having some tie-ins to real historical characters. I mean, again, I don't really know anything about Western lore, but I yeah. did a little bit of Wikipedia searching, and it's fun to see like, okay, Wyatt Earp was a Venator and actually knew about magic and stuff. That was cool. Yeah. All right, so let's go on to the next one now. So this is the first of our Bigfoot stories. B is for Bigfoot, chapter one of three. And the Bigfoot stories, what do you think of these collectively? I guess let's start with this one. But like, did you care for this backstory with River Shoulders and Erwin? Yeah, I did. I, I really did, actually. I thought that this was actually one of the highlights of the the overall packaging of these is seeing how Erwin kind of grew up and developed and and how Harry was able to have some guidance in his life from afar and how he was able to pass on his own kind of musings of not having a father figure in his life. So anyway, there's a lot of cool stuff with this. And I, I think that this is an interesting start to that. Yeah. These stories all kind of have a lot of heart because of the father son relationship that you talk about and river shoulders, like wanting to be a part of his son's life, but also not wanting to be a part of it because of, you know, he's a Bigfoot and he wants his son to have somewhat of a normal life, but to do well, but also, you know, he's not doing well because of his, his magical proclivities here. And in this one, he's being picked on, picked on by some Swartov bullies. And yeah. I thought it was fun to see Harry come into the school and be like the undercover be janitor. janitor. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. It was also, it was this technically our first introduction to the Swartovs. Uh, I don't even know how you say that. The Swartovs? Swartovs. I am actually not sure. So they were in a story in Side Jobs, for sure. Right, but this takes place before Side Jobs, right? I mean... Uh, probably depends on which story. Someone will have to let us know. I can't remember the whole chronology here. But yeah, this was nice because they're a really big part of things, starting in Peace Talks. Yeah, so that was cool. And it it made you think of the Smartovs as more of like an enemy than... We were used to thinking of them in the yeah for game, sure you know because this is like ooh this person is okay with his kids ruthlessly picking on a mortal and will kill Harry if he tries to intervene like that's 
it's pretty ruthless, you know? Yeah, for sure. Going from where they are, at least our understanding and alliance of sorts with them is a little bit of a whiplash to go back to then see them being all evil here. And do they just always ingrain themselves in the human world world like this with their kids in a private boarding school? I don't know. That was kind of confusing to me. That would be like Slytherins picking on mortals in their schools. I don't know. <laughs> just kind of kind of weird. Yeah, I get that vibe a little bit. And and Severus Snape is just watching over it ha- happen. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the next one after this is Quadruple A Wizardry. This one has a little interesting history. So it was included in the Dresden Files role-playing game rulebook. And so it's this short story that is designed to kind of like show a variety of things in Harry's world. And with that background, I think it like makes a little bit more sense. But I mean, otherwise, for me, this was a little bit of a snooze. It wasn't that interesting. So wait, this is when Harry's teaching his uh, students. Yes, and he- Harry's teaching the young wardens and... It flashes between him and class to him explaining this situation where he's going to describe how to, how to deal with being a wizard. He's teaching the wardens. Right. I thought it was interesting how... See, when I was reading this, I more thought of this as Butcher explaining how he writes his stories. You know, how he's always like, oh, and then here comes like the thing that Harry didn't consider. And it was... This, oh, okay. You know, so I didn't actually know that background. Did he talk about that? I didn't. I guess I didn't pick that up when, like, at the beginning when he kind of gives those background. No, I, I don't think so. It's just something that I actually researched. Oh, Scientology does do research. <laughs> yeah, so I think I enjoyed it a bit more than you did, actually. Then I thought it was cool to see Harry being a bit humble, and we know that he has this kind of status of, among the young wizards as this kind of role model and teacher, and so it's cool to see that that side of himself being developed yeah yeah it was cool to see him mostly teaching class where he was dealing with the wardens who were getting out of control a little bit and showing him who's boss it's it's cool to see where he's really at because a lot of times harry is not necessarily self-degrading but like he doesn't always think that highly of himself but then when you take a step back and you're like dang like harry can do a lot of magic he's fairly high up here he's really strong after Battleground, he's basically got his own thing going in Chicago. So this type of stuff is like, yeah, Harry is like pretty legit. Yeah, exactly. So I was a fan of this, but I could see how if you didn't like the premise of it from the beginning, it doesn't really get better throughout it. You know? Okay, so next is episode two of the Bigfoot stories. I was a teenage Bigfoot, and this time Irwin is a little bit older and he's tending, he's attending more of like a boarding school type. Like I pictured it more like junior high-ish mm-hmm. age, maybe high school. I mean, yeah. in the next one, he's in university, so maybe, maybe more high school. And he is sick. And so this mystery is Harry trying to figure out what's going on here because he should have the appropriate life force to not come down with mono. And then there's a nice little twist here to, when you figure out what's actually going on. I mean, this was kind of the same for me. I don't know if I liked it quite as much as the first Bigfoot. Yeah, I didn't love it as much because for one, we didn't have very much Irwin actual interaction. Right. I I also thought the twist at the end was like a little bit weird as somebody who also struggles with hair growth. <laughs> so hit to a little too close to the too close to comfort, right? <laughs> you know, if I could siphon off some magical energy from 
of Baby Bigfoot, I might do it. Really? I might do it. Really? With the, with the, with the immoral decision? Okay, wow. So, I don't, I don't know. Think I, I, can't, I can't support you in you this. can't support me? But, of course, if you're watching YouTube, you can see that I have an amazing hairline, so I'm not worried about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, again, my main complaint here is that we didn't act. Like, I thought that Erwin was a great character as a kid and as a college student, and I just didn't get to know him at all as a high school student when we could have. Yeah, plus he was sick the whole time. I thought the draining the life force to restore the hairline thing was funny. I thought it explained a lot about LeBron James and Michael Scott after season one of The Office. They probably underwent similar things. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next story, curses. So, Ben, do you know anything about the Billy Goat curse other than (laughs) this short story? I parsed together some knowledge from it while listening, but I, I had no idea about it beforehand. So the Chicago Cubs won a World Series in the year 1908 and didn't win again until 2016, so 108 years. And the reason for this, oh, the you know the the speculation, the the conspiracy theory in Chicago was about this Billy Goat curse, which Butcher is obviously keyed into. Butcher's not from Chicago; like he just chose Chicago, so he doesn't have this background. But I mean, knowing anything about Chicago, like at some point you got to include this because this is such a huge part of being a Chicagoan. Yeah. And this is definitely going to be part of our Chicago tour when we when we do that. Yeah, we're going to. So we'll stop by Wrigley Field because it's the site of well, the parking lot outside, which I've told doesn't actually exist and doesn't make sense. But the fictional parking lot outside is where he had that duel with Ortega. And so we can also stop in at Wrigley Field yeah. for a game. The curse has since been broken. So yeah, it's well, really good timing. Good. I mean, you can thank Harry Dresden for kind of doing that i guess although at the end we don't really know (laughs) well no he decides not to well he decides not to but we also get the indication that whoever i forget who even is doing this casting of the curse the goat person he's kind of willing to let it go a little bit now whereas he he maybe i don't know what was your impression of the end (laughs) i liked this story i thought i mean it was fun to see the the time because i like baseball at least a little bit. I thought it was interesting that there was like some social commentary from Butcher about like, oh, you know, the Cubs are great because everyone in Chicago really can get behind them and they know they're going to stink. And, you know, they don't have all this like huge big business behind them like someone like the Yankees might, although he doesn't say that specifically. That's not true at all anymore because Theo Epstein came in and they poured a ton of money into that team and then they won the World Series in 2016. So I don't know what the follow-up to this story would be, but when it was published, I don't know when it was actually published. When briefcases came out, the curse had already been broken. Oh, fair. Okay, I don't, yeah. I guess this didn't land because I don't follow sports at all. But I, st- I did appreciate the fact that he was kind of, oh, what do they call it when, when you write in order, like, because he said he's had fans write in asking about the curse. And so he, he like, Discovery wrote the curse, right? And how it became okay. how it came to be. So I did appreciate that kind of insight into his, his writing style. Okay, so next story is from Marcone's point of view. It's called Even Hand. It takes place between Turncoat and Changes. So obviously after the events of Small Favor, when Marcone gets the coin, and we know from Battleground that he not only gets the coin, but he uses the coin. We don't know when he actually became a Denarian, so that's unclear that and that was the main thing for me in the story 
because I was like, I just read Battleground. I know that you know he he's really got the secret with Namshul. So I wanted to see like a hint of that or something, but I didn't catch anything like that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it was cool kind of getting to know Marcon's inner psyche and his his rules, although uh-huh. we're still kind of ambiguous as to what those rules are. We know that shouldn't hurt kids, I guess. And that's kind yeah. of the only rule we know from Marcon. Well, and the fact that it was like professional courtesy to like leave the accountant alive. Uh, whereas he he offed the the two bouncers pretty quickly. Yeah, he's he's very much a mob boss where they've got this rule based honor system, but at the same time, like that does not include the actual law that regular people have to follow. Yeah. So, and then what did you think about Justine's involvement here? Yeah. So I want to see a Reddit post where someone goes in and marks down all of Justine's movements and tells me how it all relates to nemesis if you've seen something uh, like this please you know dm us because i'm really interested but i don't think i'm an expert enough to do this but i know there are people that are on our discord that totally could so i'd love to see that because i would assume that like everything she's doing from this point is all like nemesis really kind of manipulating things right yeah so when i was reading it i was kind of thinking is she just used as kind of like a pawn in this where he needed some type of character and so nemesis doesn't have that much to do with it or was it like nemesis is trying to maybe see marcone's outfit and kind of scope out his capabilities like i don't know or was are we just not supposed to read into that at all well so there was definitely a conflict with the fomor right that justine kind of put in place right I mean, she shows up with the child and she claims to be pursued by the FOMOR and then Mag of the FOMOR comes in and they have this whole showdown. It's cool to see Marcone actually protect himself with the secret magic circle that he's got ready to go. And people are like, how the heck did you do that? And he, he doesn't say anything, right? Yeah. So maybe Justine's scoping out Marcone. Maybe she's trying to build up this conflict with the FOMOR. I think that would make some sense. Yeah. And so I actually I also enjoyed at the very end how he says like, these protections weren't built to protect against the FOMOR. Oh yeah. They're, they're built oh, yeah. to protect against Harry. And so, and he contemplated actually just ending, ending her right there so that she couldn't tell Harry about his, all of his protections. Right. And he talks about the, you know, needing to upgrade a little bit, which he does with a full on castle. And this has a nice tie into the end of battleground where they're both sitting there on the beach and, you know, have the standoff going for the eye. There's a lot of really good foreshadowing. I'm really looking forward to the eventual showdown because yeah. we know we're going to get it. Well, it better be good. It's I don't know. I have such weird. I don't want to get my hopes up too much because I know that Marcone isn't in game. I know that it's this like outsiders thing, and so I hope that it's not just kind of relegated to a single book plot line. I don't know. I'm very nervous for this. How it's got to yeah. I, it's got to tie into the main part of the plot for me. If it's just one book where the like Marcone is dealt with and then we're on to the next thing, I'm not gonna like that. Yeah. I'm so not I, I would really like it to tie in and be a part of the main I mean, I don't I'm not saying I want Marcone to be on the side of the outsiders or be a outsider or anything like that, but I want his conflict to tie in directly with the main conflict. Yeah, exactly. Either he ends up joining forces with Harry and then betrays him and Harry's forced to kill him as part of like a larger con I don't know. It's it's hard to know. I'm I'm nervous about it, like I said. So we'll see. Okay, so Bigfoot on Campus is the third and final 
of the Bigfoot trilogy in briefcases. Mm -hmm. And I like this one, I think, the most because college is cool and he has a hot girlfriend and there's some drama. And I think it's really fun. (laughs) So I, I really like this one. Yeah, it was fun. It was also fun to see this narrative viewpoint where Harry's just talking to this. I don't know if it's a cop yeah. or kind of a, a security guard for the campus. And like the security guard is like, yeah. like hmm. assuming that this is true, you forgot that. I don't know. He, the security yeah. guard was like the MVP of this book for me. Harry's like, what the heck? I'm just going to tell you what's going on. I know you're not going to believe me, but I'm tired of trying to dance around mortals. I'm not hiding myself. Look, I'm right here in the yellow pages wizard. So here it is. Here's what happened. <laughs> that was great. That was a great little narrative structure. I liked it. Yeah, and that's something that it that wouldn't work for a big book, but it totally is is awesome in these short stories. Yeah, I agree. So I also like the fact that that we are expanding the the white court of vampires a little bit here, and so we know that there's more vampires than just like Lara, Wraith, and Thomas, which we kind of just end up focusing them on them a ton. And so it's nice that yeah. there's you know these other kind of smaller families that also exert like a decent amount of influence and he's he's done this a little bit i mean he's brought in some wraith cousins he's brought in that other group that feeds on fear i think that was in proven guilty go ahead and correct me if i'm wrong on that one but this one it was like oh yeah you guys were at the big showdown at the deeps and i don't think that was actually specifically written in but that's fine like there were a gazillion vampires there so Yeah. yeah here they are you know harry doesn't tell us everything he knows on page and I like the fact that, like, here's another white court vampire that, that could be a good guy. Maybe she learns from Thomas a little bit, and maybe she's able to just have enough psychic energy from Irwin to kind of make her life fulfilling without the threat of killing him. I don't know. It's cool that there could be another, like, Thomas out there that's kind of fighting against. I don't know. So I was going to ask you, will we see Irwin? later in the stories and i guess connie might be kind of tied in with him you're thinking maybe we'll see her i maybe we'll see erwin i don't know or maybe he just his he's a rap here with these stories well i sure hope we do because river shoulders is still alive after battleground right he didn't get oh yeah 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 so and he has he has probably one of my favorite moments when harry's like beaten down there fighting ethnio and it seems like it's all over and then this is essentially like the portals scene from Endgame yeah. when he looks up and there's River's shoulders on top of the the van or however it is. And, you know, like the sun is just setting and you can <laughs> or it's like a Gandalf coming in, you know, on the third day. Like that was so perfect. Yeah. It was, was that the third day? Whatever day it is that Gandalf comes in. Yeah, it was pretty good. But he's he was knocked out pretty handily by I forget, did he have like a broken leg? He had something going on. And they're all pretty injured. Yeah. Yeah. I need to. But. So the fact that, and we know that he promised to have more of a relationship with with Irwin after this. Right. And so right. It, it would be cool to see them kind of team up, do like a father-son duo. It was also interesting that Irwin was able to like learn everything he needed to know about the wizarding world from the internet very easily. He's like, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh yeah, I know about that. You know, Google 10 minutes. <laughs> And Harry's like, what? I can't believe you know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I like you. I thought that this was a that this was probably my favorite one. It was a for sure a nice wrap up with uh with Erwin. Okay, so now we go to two Molly Carpenter stories back to back. So bombshells 
is the first one. I hope I have these in the right order. Maybe, maybe slightly out of order, but bombshells. So this one's Molly after cha- after changes, before ghost story. And she's really down on herself and she's blaming herself a lot for Harry's death, which makes sense based off what's happening here. Justine again involved in showing up and setting things in motion here. Leah as well. This is another time. It's kind of weird for me that they were trying to rescue Thomas again. Like how many times do we have to rescue Thomas? And it was kind of the Swartovs were involved again in the rescue. I thought that was just like so similar to Peace Talks. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we also like in, is it Peace Talks? I don't know. We we know that Thomas is kind of has a mutually beneficial relationship with the smart elves. We'll just say that. And and so that was well. Kind of, that that's at the end of this one. I know. He's like, yeah, I've been just been plowing my way through all the smart elves. Yeah, here. exactly. And so that was kind of like another tie-in that you didn't need. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, but like would have been helpful to know going into peace talks. And so yeah, I don't know. It was it was kind of weird. But it was it was cool that he didn't actually need saving. It was just Molly being manipulated into believing that he needed saving. And again, the FOMOR involved here. Yeah. So I, I, maybe Justine is the nemesis has this real strong connection to setting up conflict with the FOMOR. That seems to be something that we would put on our conspiracy theory Reddit board. There's obviously something that nemesis is pushing for. And maybe that was the whole thing was to just to set up the conflict so she had a chance to get onto the island. Is that the extent of Nemesis's plans? Like, does she have anything further past this after it failed? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I see. I'm just going to read these and just assume that Nemesis isn't a big key player here, even though I know that I shouldn't. But I did enjoy like the Charlie's Angels aspect of this, but of this short story. Oh, yeah. You know, that was fun for me. And so, yeah, totally. I, I feel like diving too much into the Nemesis kind of defeats the purpose of just these fun ride type short stories where you just embrace this you know fun scene and fun imagery and and just kind of go for it so what do you think of molly's viewpoint because her viewpoint here was pretty different than in cold case the next story yeah i guess this is kind of molly at her at the peak of what i wish molly would have stayed you know well i mean she was pretty beaten down here like this is kind of in her ragged lady type of days it, you get a, a good reaction towards the end when Leah kind of lets slip that Harry's probably still alive and she has this huge weight come off of her shoulders. Yeah. I kind of see Eek Molly as like Molly post ghost stories before like, like she gets changes. the mantle. No, be, before she oh. takes up the mantle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because she's forgiven herself for for killing Harry or help ha- for her part in it. And she's starting to kind of come back to herself a little bit. She's starting to kind of come into herself a little bit at the end of background, uh, Battleground as well, but obviously just had another large character shift. Yeah, I but she did have some good like gotcha moments in this one where she kind of fooled the FOMOR with her with her imagery. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's nice to see different characters have different magical specialties and hers are always fun. Okay, so Cold Case, like we're saying, this is another Molly story. This is obviously after Cold Days and she's up like, in Canada or Alaska somewhere. Don't remember exactly where. And she this is like her first mission for Mab. And she has to collect the tribute of children for the winter court. And we got destroyed on our battleground review because we were like, Molly had this, you know, she's lost her mortality or, or she's lost her morality because now she's got these kids and we don't know what we thought about her. 
and it's like seriously every single comment was you need to go read cold case and so now that we've read cold case like okay yeah we messed up there because she still is very much like the same character but now she has to deal with this duty and like she can't get away from this right i agree but like you gotta imagine if this was harry would he have been able to find a way to keep those kids with their families i don't know i mean he's he's done some questionable things but he always tries to do the best for the situation right i don't if map is commanding him to do something he will be compelled to do it well unless he just chooses not to and just kill himself instead yeah but but i mean this is a pretty big moral gray area of stealing kids to go fight in a war and i you know i will say that that happens in the real world you know what i mean like you do have like these child soldiers that are recruited i mean it happens i I just don't know it's kind of it was it was rough for me i guess i would like to i would like to believe that molly is doing her best for the kids yeah you know being an awesome guardian or whatever she's training them and making sure they all say i mean similar to how harry had the mantle of all of his chicagoan followers and felt every time someone died like it's a little similar to that i mean those guys volunteered yeah but it was also kind of lame that we didn't see any actual like action involving the kids we just know that they were there so i maybe maybe they could have redeemed it a little bit if we had like the kids actually save the day a little bit i don't know or just do something other than just exist in in battleground i okay i'm gonna say i also didn't love the quote-unquote conflict between ramirez and molly because while reading battleground i knew that i knew that there was something i missed there right we all did well that was in peace talks or peace talks because ramirez comes into peace talks and he's all crippled and he's super distrustful of harry and this is why yeah but he should know that there is no malice with molly like from molly right like i thought that molly had like betrayed him now that doesn't mean that molly didn't lose control but like there is no active betrayal well maybe not from her but at this point there is no difference between the winter lady and molly and there's no difference between harry and the winter knight like there's this basic part of who they are now yeah but from our perspective we know that harry has really controlled the winter knight and kind of has that under control now ramirez might not kind of yeah yeah i don't know to me i was just expecting more of like a thought-out betrayal to justify ramirez's suspicion of harry i guess this kind of goes with the whole frustration with the communication with the white council in general like how they kick out harry at the end of battleground after he totally saves the day but also you know he is a member of the fae and there's just all this years of distrust and I think a lot of it just has to do with how old these guys are and they've been around for centuries and they have all of these relationships and ways of doing things all nailed down and they're not just going to change. And so if Harry is now part of winter, he's an enemy. End of story. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. So do you think that Molly and Ramirez will ever be able to reconcile? Because you got to admit, this was a pretty fun seeing them in action together back before they had the Twilight Gone Wrong scene. <laughs> I, I hope so i i would like to see molly have some luck in her love life it's yeah. been pretty rough so far it's true but we know that now we we also know that what molly can never be intimate with somebody that seems weird i don't know 
Yeah, is that how we read it? We may need an expert to come on and tell us, but it's so basically what Mab was saying is you are the winter lady, therefore, you know, you never there's none of there's be, none of that. Yeah, you can never be a mother type thing. Yeah. I don't know, kind of kind of weird. Is that sexist? The winter knight can <laughs> can go crazy with his sex drive. The winter lady, no. What's up with that? Yeah, especially when you know that Molly had a very active sex drive in, in previous books. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go on to the next one, Jury Duty. This is a small one. It's a hairy, hairy point of view. For me, this one was mostly just funny situationally, like to have Harry be called in for Jury Duty. That is funny to have a wizard do that. And so the story was fun and the, you know, Harry gets involved and investigates and it's fun to see him kind of go back to his roots a little bit as a detective as well. Yeah, I agree. This was just like, if every short story was exactly like this, I would have come away having nothing bad to say about the books, about the, about this anthology, but also nothing glowing. Like it was just like exactly what I expected every one of these short stories to be. Yeah, not much risk on this one, right? Right. But it was fun. Yeah. It's fine because we have a good mix of, of different types of stories. So I, I was down with Jury Duty. All right. And then the the second to last one, penultimate one here is Day One, which is awesome because of Butter's point of view. I was not expecting any Butter's point of view going in. So I was pumped for this one. This is his first day on the job as a Knight of the Cross. And it actually takes place at the same time as Zuday, the last one, because he calls Harry and Harry's like, yeah, I can't help you right now. Yeah, like, and it's like, man, that's kind of cold, Harry. Like, does that really fit? But then it's like, well, you know, because he needs Butters to do this on his own and, and be a knight. Yeah, so I enjoyed this one quite a bit, and I also thought, I again, this goes back to um, Butcher telling us like a little bit of history. It's crazy that Butcher just expected Butters to be a throwaway character from the very beginning, and then he just kind of yeah. grew on him. And so that's definitely like a discovery writer attitude right there you know like how this character totally. kind of keeps on building on it himself and this is exactly how i would imagine butters first day on the job to go like where he's just like terrified but somehow manages to get through it and it and in the end in the climactic moment is totally awesome so that's kind of butters's thing you know he's he stumbles his way through it until the very end where he displays uh-huh. courage uh-huh. unbound yeah, Butters is very much like the common man hero here where he's risen from these kind of lame roots to now being a knight of the cross and having some hot girlfriends, I guess, <laughs> uh, in the most recent. But then in, in Battleground, he's awesome. Yeah. With where, where he stands up to Ethnio and and has, like you said, courage unbounded here. So, yeah, this one was fun. The enemy he was fighting, I didn't get a sense that it was like really all that difficult of an enemy so maybe a good thing for his first day yeah the enemy was kind of weird i also did enjoy like picturing him with michael on the bike behind him or what i don't know like kind of that training montage of of butters learning how to do like okay rudiment i thought that was fun to see and and we know that he's also training with oh mrs carpenter well sonia and and oh and, and charity yeah charity yeah it was fun all right, so last stories is Zuday. Zuday is the only story that was 100% new when Briefcases was published in 2018. And it's told in three different parts. So you first get Maggie's point of view and then Harry's point of view. Harry's point of view. And then Mouse's. Harry's point of view is first? Yeah. You get, it's Harry and then Molly and then Mouse. Okay, so you first get Harry's point of view and then 
Maggie's point of view and then Mouse's point of view. I was like, okay on this one. I thought it was fun for some of the more heartfelt moments, but the actual action and the story of it was mostly just like, for me, a framework to get the sweet messages across. Yeah, I mean, I think Maggie's uh, viewpoint was awesome in the sense that, oh, what do they, the spooks or what What were they called? Yeah, I think yeah. So, I believe so, yeah. Something like or the that. haunts or something like that. The haunts, yeah. yeah. That was cool to see her deal with that. I don't know. It's cool to like see the magical world and how children relate to it. And that was actually something we saw in that quadruple A book too. So, right. I, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. I also enjoyed Mouse's viewpoint. And this is where I go back to say, for some reason, Mouse and Mouse had a very similar voice to Harry as me. But like the fact that like Marsters was using like this weird British accent for Mouse, I thought that was pretty fun. Was it Marsters all the way through? Uh, I think so. I know that actually not sure on that side jobs. It wasn't no, because there's a woman for Lucio's point of view. Yeah, but I think it was Marsters. I think that this was Marsters in this one. I don't know. I thought the narration saved the voice though. I didn't get that at all with uh, Mouse's perspective being too similar to Harry's. But uh, I, I mean, I'll, maybe I'll just give it to you. I, I don't know. But for <laughs> me, that that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. Yeah. My thing was I, I liked just the, the tugs on the heartstrings. I like to see how nervous Harry and Maggie were both around each other because they wanted to impress their father or daughter and mouse. Then you got mouse and mouse was like, I don't know what they're so worried about. Like they're perfect for each other. I thought it was really sweet. Just the the combo of them. I'm interested to see what Maggie does going forward. Like, will she have a part to play or is she just a young child that will be purely kind of a family member that is a little bit of a plot device for harry's like oh maggie's there gotta go save her like is she always going to be the child in distress yeah okay a couple more things the fact that the carpenter children have like this book where they they kind of have written down how to slay child yeah that was great that was pretty cool also what do you think about mouse's shadow this is like the anti-mouse like, do you think that this character is going to pop up later? Yeah, I wasn't super interested in this. I'm going to be honest. Really? Like I say, I was more into just their relationships and the actual plot of the the spooks and the mouse's brothers. Yeah. Didn't love. I see. I thought I was really, I was really intrigued by anti anti mouse. How like there's this temple go- a temple dog or whatever that has turned to the dark side and. We'll see, might see him later and how he was actually the one that was kind of orchestrating all of this nefarious Zude action. That was It was fine for a short story. I would be skeptical to say the least if it became a big thing in a, in a larger book. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But there are some small enemies in the larger books too. So possibly, but I, it would take some convincing, Butcher would have to really convince me. I could, I could see if, if, Anti Mouse was being controlled by Nemesis. Could be that could be happening to him. See if that's up on our Nemesis conspiracy theory Reddit board. All right, that's a wrap for uh, for briefcases. Again, I gave this one a seven out of ten. Ben was in with a seven point five. Check out our more just kind of raw thoughts with no spoilers in the previous 
episode. And if you like Phantology, you can find us at www.phantologybooks.com. We have our full catalog there as well, as well as all of our social links. And if you want to chat with us, our Discord invites are on our episode posts and on our website as well. And if you'd like to support the channel, you can find that at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. So thanks for listening. And if you are a fan of the Dresden Files, our next episode is going to be a tier list video. So we have 17 plus two short stories. We've got 19 books to put into a tier list. It's going to be an awesome video. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be the first time we've done a tier list. And I think we'll have at least me and Ben and Josh. Ryan is reading them right now. I don't think he'll be ready in time, but look forward to that. So thanks, Ben. See you later. Thanks.